You are listening to Birdsong by Verna A. Ringlander as part of the Curious Works of Verna A. Ringlander podcast series. We will begin right after this. eyes turned to look at me and Orev, as we'd been standing there above the rabble with our hands locked together for much, much longer than five seconds, in front of just about everyone. I got a talking to later from Counselor Fleave, who said she was disappointed in my behavior, that I was demonstrating a lack in judgment by befriending someone too closely, that it was against the rules to form bonds. Rule number 14. We are all members of a symbiotic community that it coexists in equanimity. To establish bonds closer to one individual than another may cause imbalance in our community. That it was nice to help people out when they were new but that it was dangerous to get too close to anyone for so many reasons, reasons she'd be happy to list. I knew the reasons. I didn't care. Seemingly out of nowhere, the rules didn't matter to me at all anymore. Being a guide as soon as I turned 16 didn't matter to me at all anymore. Being on time no longer mattered. Being obedient seemed all wrong, and being wrong felt fun and felt good. Since my arrival at age two or three, I had always stayed in line. I had always walked down the middle of those halls, nodding and smiling to everyone, nodding and smiling to any master or mistress in a white suit to orderlies in black overalls, to the hundreds of us in olive green campers' uniforms, to the dozen or so prim and crisp navy and white counselors' outfits, to the guides in their maroon caps and scarves that I'd hoped for a long time to wear proudly, too. I'd always been nodding, smiling, looking up, looking forward, being polite, being kind to the newcomers. In those days, Orev had me out of the hall and into the darker corners of the buildings, exploring the darker corners of each other's bodies. And as I was giving way to feelings in myself I'd only read about in my favorite books and also in some of the books that I wasn't supposed to have, We'd stare hungrily at each other from across the bunkhouse, having wild and insane dreams of flying together that we'd share in whispers over our breakfast. We were obsessed. We were untamed. We were living very stupidly and dangerously and affectionately physically allowed throwing 
everything out of balance. In morning readings, we were acting out the characters and the books we read aloud in class. In Wuthering Heights, he was Heathcliff and I, Kathy, laughing like the two of them through the halls of camp, like we were on the Scottish moors, in the open air, and dreaming about those scenes together at night, meeting beside our eternal underworld campfire. I grew into knowing myself as someone so unlike who I thought I was. I, who had never had so much as a close friend, all wrapped up in the gaze of the only one who mattered to me. I stopped greeting newcomers. For all I cared, Toshea and Barabbas and even Jammy could have them all. I might as well have thrown them to the wolves. No one else mattered. We learned an entire language between the two of us, never needing to speak. Orev, with all the various versions of his permanent grin, and with me, all the ways I could move my emotions around my face, and soon whole words would pass between our minds, and then sentences. It was a thing that was known to happen when strong bonds were formed, and because I avoided breaking the rules at all costs, it caused me mild alarm to find we were speaking to each other without talking, but I brushed it off because I convinced myself no one could tell what we were doing, that it wasn't obvious to anyone else. Nighttime was spent falling asleep, making eye contact with Orev from his bunk across and down the aisle from mine. My sleep and my dreams belonged to Orev. In our dreams, we were determined to find each other in the form of our underworld spirits, my own spirit intertwining with his and running together, laughing and free. My mornings were spent awakening to the undulating of my body. In the darkness of the pre-dawn hour before Reveille, working quietly, to let my pleasure free under my blankets, turning in my bunk to see Orev doing the same, and meeting his gaze there as we both finished, eyes squinting, lips tightening to hold back squeals of delight, smiles of relief, knowing we'd try to be together like that, body to body as soon as we could manage the place and the time. Drills became opportunities, where we'd find the darkest areas of the main hall, where lantern light and emergency lights couldn't quite reach. And when the lights would dim and flicker when the fans switched on and chaos would overcome the room, we'd kiss quickly and passionately, 
and we'd hold hands for long stretches behind the huddle of other campers. We withdrew. We were no longer a part of the community. We had our own symbiosis, and it barely involved food, sleep, or even breath. You think you're the only one here who's ever been like that? You think you've invented teenage love? Counselor Fleave barked at me one afternoon. You think you're doing any of this unseen? You think this isn't going to spread like a disease around here? You think it hasn't already? That other campers aren't trying what you're trying? That they never have? You have no idea the imbalance this can cause, Uvinda. I didn't care. Orev cared even less. We began to share dreams about leaving camp. It would soon be his time. Mine wouldn't be for over a year longer, and until he came into my life, I had no intention of leaving. I had always imagined I would be a guide my last year, that I would eventually switch my olives for a set of navy and whites and become a counselor that I would make my life here and take an oath of celibacy like counselors had to and devote the rest of my life to the smallest of the campers, the ones who don't have the words to make sense of their own upheaval, the ones without much of a story, whose tears are so much more easily dried. Orev made me forget all of that. In our dreams, we would take each other's hand and walk through the doors to the outside. And once we were there, we would run and 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 run. We would pass these words to each other's minds like this at breakfast after those dreams. And we'd smile. And we'd laugh together softly with tears of joys in our eyes, trying so hard to laugh quietly, still sometimes in total disbelief that we could speak this way together without talking to each other. And run, and run, and run, we would repeat over and over in our minds, making each other laugh aloud, and then we'd get too loud and the orderlies would shake their heads, and the counselors would separate us again. Eventually, for us, drills became optional. We went if we felt like it, and we skipped if we didn't. We knew we wouldn't be counted. We knew what trouble that would get us in. We didn't care. We delighted in hiding from the guards that combed the halls for kids like us. And like Counselor Fleave said, we were growing in number, 
like a little tribe of multiple couples who tucked away in pairs in the shadows, who took shelter in the suddenly quiet, suddenly empty spaces of camp, keeping one eye on alert. While everyone was locked away down in the main hall, we would carefully maneuver around the patrols and deftly open and close doors, and if we were fortunate enough, we'd tangle up and tumble around in one of our bunks, kissing wildly, or if we weren't quite so lucky, we'd press ourselves breathlessly into a reading room corner. We became brazen. We grew restless, Orev even more so. He began to saunter in the hall during the drills we'd skip, and instead of scurrying and flattening ourselves against walls and checking corners, he'd just walk. If a guard saw him, he'd tell them he was lost, and the guards would know he was lying, but what could they do? We were written up and sent to our counselors and even met with Mistress Vosh a time or two, but we believe that to be their worst punishment. So why should we care? Vosh warned us of the more severe, the more rare consequences there at camp, consequences good girls like me never heard about, that I never knew anyone ever had to face, that I never faced at all, because I only ran around with others who were also good, and that what we were doing wasn't good, and that it was causing imbalance in the community, starting with ourselves first and foremost. I had no idea what Vosh was talking about then. I had no idea I would face any consequences worse than hearing her drone on and on about imbalance. I had no intention of pushing it any further. After all, Orev would soon be leaving when he turned 18. I was truly beginning to think I wouldn't be too far behind, that life for me may exist beyond the fences around camp when I became an adult. The sirens sounded for drill a few days later. Orev rolled his eyes. We were having lunch and had just finished. It had only been a week since the last. It had felt like they were increasing in frequency much to our simultaneous delight and dismay. Should we even go? I asked him, in our silent way. Orev answered, no. But his face wore another meaning behind the word no. His evergrin had disappeared completely, and his expression looked determined and grave. I searched his eyes for more. They revealed nothing, except when he turned to look right at me, as the sirens sounded one more time, and the counselors grew far more urgent than I'd ever seen them, and the guards looked far more stern, 
and the masters and mistresses appeared as a solid group in lockstep. This isn't a drill, I tried to say to him, in that silent way we knew how, but he wasn't looking at me. He was looking everywhere but at me. This is real. A real storm had come to camp. This isn't a drill, Orev, I urgently tried to say, and he wouldn't look at me, just jutting out his chin as he marched down the hall, eyes forward, not holding my hand. I ran into him on purpose, slamming my body into his so he'd look at me. This isn't a drill. It's real. The storm is real this time. This has never happened as long as I've lived here, nearly all my life. I know. He finally looked back at me. His grin returned to his face. A peace illuminated him, like the moonlight the night we first met. He took my hand, gripped it with all his might, walking more and more quickly along the crowded hall, leading to the stairs down into the main hall, a hushed chatter frantically building among the campers as they filed obediently, solemnly into the hall with more speed and intention than I'd ever seen. Suddenly, Orev pulled my arm in a perpendicular direction from the crowd. My feet lifted from the ground, then tripped and tumbled for a moment, and then scurried to meet his pace. And just as he pushed the adjacent doors open, a gust of terrible heat and dampness met our faces, and chaos enveloped everything around us. There was shouting from behind us, and screaming, and our bodies collided with every door, one after the other, in hard succession, until we found ones that opened, ones that were unlocked, beckoning us towards the next upward staircase, the next unlocked door, the next upward staircase. More and more heat, more and more sweat, fewer sounds, less shouting, more and more panic at the knowledge we were being pursued mercilessly. Mm -hmm.